This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 28th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. As Russia appears to be gearing up to meddle in this year's presidential election, it's not clear that the White House is taking that news and a great deal of other news particularly well. It's also not clear who will be advising the president on matters of national intelligence in the coming months. Cato's Julian Sanchez discusses the last few weeks and the ongoing shakeup in White House advisors and the dangers posed by the way in which this White House deals with bothersome events. To the shakeup in the uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence began uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with a briefing uh, to uh, members of Congress by Shelby Pearson. Uh, who had been heading up uh, election security efforts within the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, confirmed to uh, those members of Congress, Republicans and Democrats present, that uh, Russia was once again gearing up to interfere in the 2020 election uh, and uh, was doing so uh, with an eye toward assisting uh, President Trump. Uh, There's been some debate in the aftermath of that how uh accurate that was there are two separate findings at least one that they're interfering and two uh they seem to have assessed that they uh, believe that uh, president trump is someone that they uh, can work with and is not uh, averse to russian interests um there's a question of whether it was uh, eliding a significant nuance uh to say bluntly uh, the goal of the interference was uh, to reelect President Trump, um, although given what occurred since, it's hard to know what to make of some of the walk back um, that, that's happening as a result of that. But when uh, President Trump learned of this briefing, um, which he appears to have initially believed mistakenly was a direct personal briefing to Adam Schiff, the chair of the uh, House uh, Intelligence Committee, uh, he apparently became very angry about this, believed this is information that was going to be weaponized by Democrats. And so uh, the acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, uh, who had formerly been heading the National Counterterrorism Center, uh, was pushed out uh, a bit early. Um, the uh, There's a sort of a cap on how long an acting DNI uh, director of national intelligence can serve. Um, and so that, that clock was set to run down on... Uh, March 11th, uh, although the clock resets uh, for another 210 days if uh, there is uh, a nominee uh, for a permanent DNI replacement or and or if uh, the Senate rejects that nominee. Uh, and the replacement for McGuire, who did at least have some sort of relevant background experience, was Rick Grinnell, uh, who is currently serving as uh, ambassador to Germany and and somewhat strikingly appears to be continuing in that role. So acting as a kind of part-time uh, DNI. Um, Shelby Pearson, the, the briefer who spoke to Congress, appears to, for the moment at least, be remaining in that role. Um, but Grinnell, who really has no intelligence background at all, is, is known mostly as a uh, very blunt uh, and uh, devoted Trump uh, loyalist, uh, uh, who's willing to toe the the, the president's line on uh, almost anything, um, but otherwise really has no relevant background uh, to be the sort of coordinating uh, executive for the intelligence community, uh, will apparently be stepping into that role uh, at least until uh, March 11th. And there's now a question of who the nominee for the permanent 
uh, replacement is going to be. And this is sort of striking to a lot of people. Rick Grinnell is not someone who anyone, I think, would have said uh, was on any kind of you know, reasonable list of potential uh, nominees to head uh, the, the sort of sprawling intelligence community. Um, he just, on the one hand, lacks sort of the knowledge and background to um, sort of understand uh, how to how to navigate and, and integrate um, all of those intelligence streams and to try and coordinate uh, these 16 other agencies. Uh, uh, and also, you know, lacks any sort of stature within that community, which is fairly important because the DNI doesn't really have uh, much direct statutory authority over the other agencies. Um, they have a, a role of synthesizing and kind of integrating information uh, from the other agencies and then providing that information to the president uh, and also of attempting to coordinate uh, those efforts. But without much in the way of sort of personnel or funding authority uh, to to actually give that role some sort of bite. Um, and that's why I think unsurprisingly, m most uh, DNIs have not lasted very long with the exception of uh, the Obama administration's uh, James Clapper, who had a very long uh, uh, intelligence career and a, and a at, the, you know, at least at the time of his appointment, um, a uh, formidable reputation across the intelligence community. Um, he lasted, I think, more than six years. Um, otherwise, the tenures in, in that job have been relatively short and I think, for the most part, not not especially successful. Um, uh, Clapper had other issues, of course. I think he uh, really shamed himself by uh, lying to Congress about uh, bulk collection of American phone records. But in terms of sort of the pure question of effectiveness in the role as a coordinator of the intelligence community, uh, arguably uh, Clapper was the only really successful one to date. Um, and that's, I think, just has to do with sort of the nature of the job, which is you you are sort of tasked with coordinating a lot of very uh, turf jealous agencies with very different cultures um, who are not necessarily eager to have their uh, power taken away from them. And to the extent that past DNIs have clashed with the heads of the individual agencies, uh, mostly they have uh, not won out in those battles. Um, so then there's a question of of so what happens next. Grinnell is is uh, in theory, only going to be there until a more permanent uh, DNI is uh, named. But uh, the only name we've heard floated to date is John Ratcliffe, who was floated uh, some months ago before uh, Joseph McGuire uh, stepped in uh, for the role. And then that nomination was, was effectively withdrawn um, in part because there were objections that uh, that Ratcliffe uh, had no real uh, intelligence experience beyond you know a fairly brief tenure on uh, on the intelligence committee, um, and also some rather embarrassing revelations that um, to the extent he had claimed relevant background by dint of his work as a a, a prosecutor. Uh, U.S. Attorney's Office working counterterrorism cases, it began to kind of come out that he may have significantly inflated uh, his role and sort of talked up his own importance uh, in uh, pursuing counterterrorism cases um, that that wasn't borne out by the facts. Um, and so uh, that that nomination ended up being pulled. Now we're hearing uh, that name floated again. 
Um, and so there's some question of whether the administration's goal is to actually find someone who's appropriate as a, a confirmable permanent director of national intelligence um, or simply to sort of present the Senate with uh, a a nominee that the Senate isn't going to confirm, but that's fine because uh, Donald Trump has said repeatedly he's very happy to have acting officials in some of these senior roles uh, because I suppose they are uh, more malleable uh, and easier to replace um, and tend not to have the stature to push back uh, against the president. Um, and so, you know, this would be one way of uh, keeping Grinnell in the post for, uh, you know, past March 11th. Um, Grinnell is someone who I think it's, it's inconceivable would, would win Senate confirmation. Again, he has really no relevant qualifications or backgrounds to uh, to be the, the head of this sprawling 16 agency intelligence community. Um, but uh, as long as you know nominees are proposed and and rejected, the clock for how long an acting director can serve is extended. What does it mean to have uh, an acting versus a Senate confirmed director in these positions? Obviously, if if this person is is not qualified, I mean, it seems odd that the 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 same complaint that a lot of people level against the Obama administration with respect to election interference in 2016. Uh, we're, it seems like the White House now is teeing up a not dissimilar outcome. Yeah. I mean, one of the great, I think, ironies of the uh, notoriously fractious sort of relationship between uh, Donald Trump and his own intelligence community is that, you know, one of the things we've heard Trump say many times when explaining why he is distrustful of the intelligence community, including why he is skeptical of their, uh, Essentially, unanimous conclusion that the in 2016, uh, the Russian government interfered on on his behalf and to help his campaign um, is well, they got it wrong when you when it came to weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Um, and of course, a primary reason uh, the intelligence community got it wrong with respect to weapons of mass destruction in Iraq is that um, intelligence was effectively stovepiped and and politicized. That is to say, um, as analysis worked its way up the chain, uh, it was clear that caveats and qualifications and reservations and second thoughts about whether um, there was really strong evidence that Iraq had been uh, continuing to build weapons of mass destruction program were filtered out because the uh, the administration and the White House had determined that they, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, wanted to take action against uh, the regime in Iraq. Uh, and so, and they expected to find, uh, for various reasons, that indeed uh, Saddam Hussein had been building weapons of mass destruction. So information confirming what the White House wanted to hear was what made its way up the chain. Uh, and uh, so the minority reports and the countervailing information uh, were filtered out much lower down the chain. And I think you know what we're seeing pretty clearly here is a dynamic where it is becoming increasingly clear to the intelligence community that uh, reporting information that the president does not care for, whether or not it's accurate, um, is not good for your career. Uh, just about a year ago, there was a, uh, uh, a hearing on the sort of annual uh, national uh, threat assessment, and 
there were a number of things said at that hearing that were uh, contrary to the message that the president had had been trying to promote. So they said things like, well, it, you know, it doesn't actually look like uh, North Korea is gearing up to completely denuclearize. Um, you know, Russia did, of course, again, uh, interfere and is continuing to uh, in American elections. Uh, the ISIS has not, in fact, been completely defeated and, and still poses a threat and is in some ways uh, trying to uh, reconsolidate. Uh, and all of these things were uh, not what Donald Trump wanted to hear. And he notoriously sort of said, well, they need to go back to school. Uh, they're naive and they don't um, they don't understand the way I do how the world works. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were forced to claim that they'd been misquoted, even though plain, plainly they hadn't been. Um, now we have, uh, again, a, a DNI essentially summarily, uh, even, even though acting, uh, summarily and quickly removed. So quickly removed that he, uh, Joseph McGuire found out that he had been displaced from his role when journalists called for comment on his replacement and he had to kind of confirm that yes he had been he had been replaced um because congress was briefed and given information uh that the president did not find congenial or believed would be politically harmful um and i think that's that's you know really really uh, quite dangerous uh, a scenario where i mean i think at this point any reasonable person is going to say um you know it's been made very clear to the intelligence community um, that they are not expected to uh, share with Congress, certainly not the the general public, information that uh, contradicts the president's position on anything, uh, and you know they can expect to be replaced if they do so. And indeed, many of them have been replaced by people who uh, have a proving willingness to um, act in the political interests of the White House, um, and that's. You know, the country kind of something quite dangerous because because it does mean I think a reasonable person has to say, well, you know, should we believe what we learn at uh, public hearings from the intelligence community? Uh, should we, you know, at least to the extent that it coincides with with a a White House congenial message at this stage? I think any reasonable person would have to say. Uh, yeah, there's there's a question whether that's accurate intelligence or whether it's something uh, that they're saying because they'll lose their jobs if they don't confirm uh, the White House view. Uh, you know, we have uh, just just recently the president trying to kind of calm the markets about uh, coronavirus and uh, the CDC uh, says you know giving a somewhat different message that no the an out outbreaks in the in the U.S. are indeed likely. Um, I think that's that's the kind of issue where uh, the idea that the you know one that we might not get accurate information is uh, is a problem, but also um, that whether or not we're getting accurate information, if the public can no longer trust that that information is accurate because the president is so clearly uh, intervening uh, and punishing actors who uh, don't confirm what the White House said, I think that's in itself uh, a significant problem. Uh, I also know, you know, just within within the intelligence community, reportedly, uh, Grinnell almost immediately began uh, asking for raw intelligence uh, on a number of uh, uh, issues related to Russia. So, sort of the raw uh, underlying, not the not the finished analysis, but the um, the, the primary sources on uh, some of these assessments about uh, Russia's interference, uh, and that's somewhat unusual. Um, and I think you know concerning uh, because there's a question of whether 
that information then goes directly to the White House and is used to either try to uh, discredit or punish analysts who are uh, reporting information that's that's not conducive to the White House's message, um, or indeed even whether sensitive information might be shared with other governments. There was you know, very early in this administration uh, a number of reports about the president uh, sort of casually sharing classified information with uh, uh, with Russian diplomats. Uh, and, and we've already seen with uh, Rudy Giuliani and others with dossiers that are being uh, circulated um, that a lot of that information just isn't very good sometimes. Right. Certainly, yeah. We have we have now a, a, sort, of a, a this sort of strange process where Rudy Giuliani, who has no formal role in government, is the, the president's sort of personal lawyer, is now um, kind of funneling information to uh, the Justice Department, often, you know, again, based on... Um, foreign actors who obviously have their own uh, domestic agenda and their reason to want uh, the U.S. to take a position that supports uh, supports them, um, or you know, just based on you know not very well uh, grounded uh, op-ed columns in newspapers. Um, but it's clear that there's been sort of pressure on the Justice Department to take this stuff more seriously than than um, might otherwise be the case. Uh, so I think we we need to sort of look at whether intelligence resources are now going to end up being devoted to, uh, you know, again, kind of confirming whatever uh, whatever narrative is congenial to the White House. I think you know, and and this is dangerous for the public, but also you know for the the president. So, you know, this is a bad thing, of course, if the intelligence community is used to promulgate um, politically congenial uh, messaging uh, for the White House, but it's dangerous for the president. And it may be that the president, you know, doesn't want to act on uh, information that contradicts what he what he prefers to believe. Um, but it's also clear that we're at, at, at a, a point where uh, officials understand that it is bad for them professionally if they are telling the White House uh, things that are going to make the president angry. Um, we had reports, again, going back, I think, over a year now that um, people briefing the president were warned not to talk about Russian election interference because it was it upset him. It made it, it was read by him as something that called into question the uh, legitimacy of electoral victory. And so... Um, you know, this is just not a topic that should be discussed certainly at any length um, if you uh, were in a position to be briefing the president. Uh, and uh, be that as it may, it's 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 actually very difficult to make good decisions if you have sent a clear signal um, that certain kinds of facts should not be included in your briefing. Uh, and, you know, you would hope that there would be a... a, a a degree of, uh, I guess, professional integrity and insistence on, uh, uh, you know, providing the the necessary facts. But uh, the harder that is made, the more likely you make it that the president is not getting uh, full and accurate uh, intelligence on which to make a decision. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.